You're tuned to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcasted live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator. And he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for almost 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, folks, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and this is such an exciting summer with the the Olympics going on. Uh, I I just, especially the Summer Olympics, I I look forward to the Winter Olympics too, um, but I really have, impartial to the Summer Olympics, I guess part of that is I swam growing up. Now, I wasn't a serious year-round swimmer. I was a pretty good competitive summer swimmer. And, of course, Knoxville has such a great league for that with Jakaiza. But, you know, I just have always been attracted, you know, all the track and field and, of course, got basketball. And so every four years, I know a lot of us are glued to the broadcasts of the Summer Olympics. And, you know, despite a year delay due to the pandemic, the games of the 32nd Olympiad in Tokyo were a success and have almost come to a close. I know uh, the United States won the gold medal in basketball last night. That was awesome. United States athletes dedicate their lives to their sports and to bring home medals, pride, and bragging rights. And, of course, we've got Knoxvillians who have been in the Olympics. Um, and today we're going to be joined by two of our most famous Olympians, Missy Kane and Jenna Johnson. Uh, our first Olympian is Missy Kane. She's joining us from on the road. Good morning, Missy. Welcome mm. to More Living. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. You you have been such a fixture. You know, I've been in Knoxville all my life. I grew up here. Uh, I was born in 1969, so I'll be 52 actually here in about a week. Youngster. And yeah, youngster. Well, so for <laughs> really my entire adult life, really, um, You've been such a fixture here in the Knoxville area when it comes to fitness, and it's just an honor and a privilege to have you on the show today. Missy, you're a runner, and you competed in the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles as a middle-distance runner in the 1,500 meters, which, of course, just shy of a mile. Right. What's it like to walk on a track during the Olympics and the atmosphere and the electricity? Is it a different kind of pressure or pride than other international events? Oh, oh, definitely. And I think uh, when I was there in 84, it was like I was pinching myself. And I think it really brought back to me uh, just pride in my country. I, I'm, I'm not a big crier, but I remember having tears when I was walking in the opening ceremonies with USA everywhere. Of course, we had boycotted in 80, so it was a very big deal. Los Angeles had huge crowds, which I really hate that the athletes this year did not get because – the you know the Coliseum was packed in Los Angeles, and um, all eyes were on you know that area for the whole world. And it was I think it was kind of weird for me too, Jim, because I think I pinched myself thinking eleven years before that I was basically a walk on at UT. I never ran track in high school, 
Um, I was pretty good as a distance runner. Terry Crawford was my coach, who was the Olympic coach, really, in 84 also. But um, I'd never run track, so I just walked on the team, and I got a little better, a little better. Then I coached at Central High School, and um, after that, I went back to get my master's when I was 27, and that's when I started running with some other girls and some people around Knoxville and ended up making a U.S. team in 83 Pan Ams, and that kind of opened the doors for me. So for me, I was just so grateful and looking back thinking, Lord, I can't believe this is happening to me for a purpose, and um, it was wonderful. Yeah, um, you know, that's an interesting story because you were kind of a late bloomer, I guess, on the track. It's interesting because we're going to have a guest, our guest on the last half of the show, Jenna Johnson, was at the same 1980. Yeah. She was at the same Olympics as a 16 year old, which is pretty amazing. But that is really quite a story that you walked on in track, and then later on in your career, you became an Olympian. Now, you mentioned um, the lack of the crowds at this Olympiad. You know, I mean, what I know you can't really put yourself, I mean, in a way, you can put yourself in their shoes because you've been there. But when you were there, you had that electricity of the Coliseum. I mean, you know, how, how can you put yourself in the shoes of today's athlete at this Olympiad with no fans? I think it's. I think it was a lot harder. Um, of course, you know, it's so different now with social media and with, you know, NBC had the coverage and there was USA. I mean, it was on four channels. We've been at the beach watching all week. And so they knew that the cameras were on them. So in a way, they had a stage because they knew that. But, like, uh, my husband's getting ready to get back in the car. We're just checking out. But he coached full vaulter in 2004, Tim Mack, that won the gold in Athens, Greece. And just the crowd getting into it, and especially for your jumpers, Charlie Simpkins from Knoxville won a silver medal in 92 in the triple jump. Especially for those events where the crowd really gets in it and they're chanting and they're clapping rhythmically to help you along the runway, that's a total different ball game than what it was in Tokyo. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it, it it's really kind of hard to imagine the difference. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, you, you know, a lot of us did sports growing up. I, and so it's, it's you know, to kind of think of being on that kind of stage, but then not having the crowd there. Um, but you're yeah, right with was, all the social media. Yeah, and with the social media and all the cameras, I mean, you're right. So, you, you know, that you, you still know you're on that stage, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. let, let's yeah. talk, Missy, about the... Let's talk about the mental health of athletes. That's been a hot topic this year. And it really Mm -hmm. came under the microscope with gymnast Simone Biles pulling out. And, of course, Naomi Osaka withdrew from Wimbledon. And so it's kind of come to the fore. Do you think that athletes today feel a different kind of pressure than when you competed? Or do you think they're just more comfortable advocating for themselves? Or maybe both? I think both. I think think you're exactly right. I think it's both. And I do think that, uh, I mean, I remember feeling the pressure and having the nerves and feeling like you're going to, you know, it's just like an out-of-body experience and you're trying to calm yourself down. For me, luckily, I really enjoyed Athletes in Action and Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So for me, and I was a nervous Nelly, I, I, I'm the type that some people really are calm, but I was the type that, I mean, I had a Bible verse stuck in my warm-up shoe. You know, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I, I, I always great. had to remind myself of my faith and asking God to help me through those tough times because it is nerve-wracking. But, I, you know, I wasn't a gold medal favorite. I ended up being 13th, which is not a real lucky number. But looking back, I think it was pretty – I'm pretty grateful that 
I was there and that I did that well. But but for the ones like the Simone Biles that have had pressure on them for five years, uh, I mean, it, they've made money on it, which is great. But then and, – and people coming up to people that maybe didn't even have – like I think Allison Felix handled it so well getting bronze last night, but you know some people would have think to her, oh she's going for gold again. Well, she did awfully well to come in third because she wasn't at her best, and it was her fifth Olympics. Um, but some people, you know, even the media will come up, and the only thing they're asking you about is, are you going for the gold? And so you're automatically put off that, oh if I don't get a gold medal, I'm a failure. Um, so I think that has set up – so I think the conversation is good, and to me, I thought maybe some of the media interview uh, folks backed down a little bit after this whole thing with Simone because uh, – and even in the swimming, when we first started off watching swimming, because I've got a, a swimmer in the back seat that was went to state every year for West High School and Jakai's and all that, and so we watched swimming a lot, and I think the um, the media kind of backed off a little bit with their – hard questions and they're unrealistic questions. So I'm thinking maybe that is a good thing that came out of this, how everybody should um, handle sports in that the Olympics, the most important thing is to participate, not to win gold. That's in the creed of the Olympic statement. I think that is a good lesson. I mean, you know, we do compete, and they do keep score and, and all that stuff, and I think it, to a level that's good. But uh, I think it's yeah. also good to not get ahead of ourselves and allow athletes to, especially especially in today's world, to be able to enjoy the moment. And, you know, you're right. It's hard to put ourselves in the shoes of someone like Simone Biles who has a microphone shoved in front of her constantly asking her about the gold. I mean, it is hard to put ourselves in her shoes. With the yeah, kind of pressure that like, that. Yeah, and I think you see some of the underdogs coming through, which is great. Uh, Katie Najet, uh, we watched the pole vault a lot because my husband, of course, coached sure. pole vaulters for 25 years. And we met – my husband sitting next to me, he, he knows Katie Najet pretty well. She, she actually trained in Knoxville about six years ago. Is that right? About six years ago. Then she uh, – Derek Miles is her coach. Brad Walker, he's telling me this as I talk to you. Brad Walker was her coach, and he competed against Tim Matt. But anyway, Katie Najet has been doing great for a couple of years, but she probably wasn't picked to win the gold. I think the, um, the Russian girl was picked to win the gold. But my husband watched closely and said the, the Russian ended up with a silver, but another Russian that was a, had won gold the last Olympics was literally on the runway with tears in her eyes because she wasn't performing that well. And so – Katie Najet, which is wonderful to see, somebody that trained in Knotsler for a while, a lot of us know, came out with a gold medal in the pole vault. Um, so you have these wonderful feelings of you overcame something, you weren't picked to win, but then you have some people that had the pressure and um, they didn't perform. But yet again, like the Alex, Allison Felix that came in third, and I think she really portrayed it well on TV about what that meant to her. And just overcoming a lot of obstacles was a gold medal to her. One thing that's always been unique, I mean, uh, we know this, but so unique about the Olympics is it's just every four years. So, you know, and and these are the best athletes in the world. And so the the tuning of the body and the timing of all that, I mean, somebody could be one of the best at their sport in the world, and the timing doesn't quite work out right to be able to qualify for the Olympics. 
And so it makes the Olympics themselves such a unique thing, I think, because, you know, it's not an every year thing. And so the timing yeah, has to just be so. Yeah. yeah, and this time it was five years. So it just has to be <laughs> yeah. so perfect. And and then the challenges that went with that, with the people that, all the people that trained and, and were going to go next year, and then they had to reset their bodies and their training. We're visiting with Missy Kane this morning on More Living. And when we come back, I want to transition into her love for fitness and, and what it was like to transition into being a coach and also tips for getting healthy and moving our bodies. So stay with us as we visit with Missy Kane here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in today to More Living right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 and... We're on every Saturday, 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. You can also catch our podcasts online at broganfinancial.com and click on radio. We're talking about the Olympics. It's such an exciting thing. It's wrapping up this weekend. We're visiting with Missy Kane. We have so many Olympians in the area. You know, there were so many people we could have called. Missy is Missy Kane has been such a, a fixture in our area for so long. I really wanted to meet her and have her on. Jenna Johnson's going to be on with us a little bit later. She's a very dear friend of, of mine and my wife's. Uh, from years ago, we met. We were neighbors. Such a great girl. You know, there's so many others in the area. Davis Tarwater and Tony Cozy, who's a friend of mine. And um, so many people we could have called. But, Missy, thanks for being on. You know, you've turned your love for running and fitness into a career. And you were a co- you've been a coach. Talk about that transition from athlete to coach, especially when you were a an Olympic athlete, because not all athletes can get to that level. So how did that transition into coaching and expectations and those kinds of things? Well, I think when I was back at UT, when I you know, was a walk-on athlete and I majored in exercise physiology, um, physical education, got my undergrad and taught, and I coached even before I made the Olympic team. I coached at Central High School. I coached volleyball, cheerleading. I coached it all because I was young and stupid, but you know, <laughs> I enjoyed it. I coached track. I coached cross country. I coached guys, and I really enjoyed coaching uh, distance runners at Central that were female and male because it was. I, I realized it was a little different when you coached the different sexes to me because of just um, how they reacted to practice, but long story short, I ended up um, – working at Channel 10, it opened the door for me for a career. Um, when I came back from the Olympics, Bob Kessling, I'd met him the year before doing the Expo Road Race, commentating that. And so I talked to Bob. He said, well, why don't you come over and, and try out and see if Jim Hart will hire you to do some sports and fitness. Um, so they basically hired me to do that, taught me on the job uh, how to report, how to write a story. And I was just so passionate about fitness um, through University of Tennessee with exercise physiology and learning a lot about the human body from those classes, and my coach, Terry Crawford, was wonderful, that I really wanted to parlay that into everyday life, saying that you can you can train um, to lose body fat if that's what you need to do. You can train to be faster. You can have a goal when you're in your 40s to do a half marathon and complete that. So I think it it kind of opened up the door that that's something I wanted to showcase, not just Olympic athletes, but 80-year-old athletes who are amazing. You know, I had Harvey Lieberman on my Fit and Fun show on PBS 
last year, and he's 85 years old and still during the Senior Olympic Games and doing well. So I just I, I found that passionate to me and hopefully to other people um, because as we, we look around our country, especially this past year with COVID, um, it's just so, so important to take care of our health, our heart, our lungs, our muscles, and we can take charge of that with the preventative health. So I think that really opened up a door for my career with my knowledge from UT, but also being an athlete. Yeah, Missy, uh, what's your favorite part of your broadcast and TV career? Well, I, I look back and I'm I, I'm glad I did sports. I mean, I think I was the first female sports anchor in Tennessee. So I did sports on the weekend for Channel 10. Um, I did NBC Sports uh, internationally in the Rome um, 2000 with the 2000 no, excuse me, 1987 World Championships in Rome with Charlie, with Dick Enberg, with um, Charlie Jones, Frank Shorter. That was exciting, uh, very nerve-wracking to memorize all those names and a lot of studying, but I'm very proud of that, and it was an experience I'll sure. never forget, you know, interviewing Carl Lewis and Jackie Joyner Kersey and Flo jo and international um, people from around the world. That was really Amazing. exciting for me um but i look back and i think i i'm glad i did that then because i just enjoy my life now a little bit i think it's a little bit less stressful um but i i enjoyed doing that i enjoyed coaching at ut for four years middle distance runners i'm still really good friends with jasmine jones keller uh valerie bertrand bachman they were all americans for me at ut when i coached there and they're still in Knoxville and some of my best friends. So I look back at that and think that was just an amazing experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're talking about fitness and health and nutrition. It's interesting. We did a we did a town a heart health town hall uh, this week for our clients via Zoom, and mm-hmm. had a cardiologist, good friend of mine, Jeff Johnson, who's over at University Cardiology. And you know, we spent so much time talking about lifestyle impact on cardiovascular health. And we talked a good bit about diet, and then we talked about movement. You know, for those that haven't been moving a good bit or who are getting older and, you know, it's intimidating to think about going out and running or even walking a mile or or lifting weights and doing resistance training. What are some good tips, Missy, for people who just need to add exercise into their routine? You know, even a basic Fitbit, I really still enjoy my Fitbit. I've had the same one for three years, and just – the old thing of 10K a day, um, 10,000 steps a day, and I tell people if they wear a Fitbit or a, heart, a monitor where they can count their steps, and let's say a normal day is only 7,000 steps for them, well, maybe their goal for the next year is to try to average 8,000 or 9,000 steps a day. The average American only gets 5,000 steps per day, and that's just a basic thing so people would take stairs more. People would not worry about parking right next to the store. Um walking their dog maybe twice a day instead of once a day. Those little things can really make a difference. And so, you know, I I enjoy that. Not everybody watches my little fit and fun show on PBS, but during the COVID especially, I have people stop me and say, oh, I discovered your 6.30 a.m. show Monday through Friday, and it's really made a difference. And I think, you know, I just thank thank God that I had that um, avenue to reach out to people. Yeah, that's really great. Um, tell us, how, how can people follow you, Missy? And do mention when that shows, so 6.30, Monday through Friday on PBS, and then how, how can people follow you online? 
Well, I'm probably just uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram at Missy Kane B. Miller. My married name is B-E-M-I-L-L-E-R, or they can just put in Missy Kane and, and it'll pull it up. And I have a Facebook page for my show and also just uh, daily life, what I do with cycling. I'm into hiking now. I'm trying to do a lot of things with Friends of the Smokies and also Legacy Parks. I'm on Legacy Parks board, and um, Carol Evans would be a great uh, guest for you because I think it's amazing what Legacy Parks has done for our East Tennessee area with parks, with greenways, with urban wilderness, um, and getting families out and exercising. So I'm excited to keep doing that a little bit in the next couple of years. I'm going to retire a little bit from what I've been doing with Covenant Health, but I'm going to keep on hiking, biking, and, and helping promote things with my show and working a little bit with Legacy Parks. Yeah, that's fantastic, which actually I do want to ask you one more question along those lines with the, you mentioned the greenways and all the stuff we have here in Knoxville. You really do advocate for people to get outside, go for a walk, lace up their shoes. What are some of your favorite spots, Missy, to go for a walk around the area? Oh, boy, we have so many now. So I will say OutdoorKnoxville.com is the best place to go for maps, for, for hiking, paddling. Um, I think one of my favorite places to, to hike is um, still over around Iams and Meads Quarry. They've got almost 50-some miles of trails now, so for a short hike. Uh, I love Seven Island State Park, which is out off Kodak Road. It's beautiful. And then my new passion is the Cumberland Trail. Uh, you can go to Crab Orchard exit, what, 55 minutes from West Knoxville. And the Kermlin Trail is going to go all the way from Signal Mountain all the way to Kermlin Gap. Uh, it's going to be 310 miles. Right now it's about 240 miles finished. But I, I think that's going to be so great for our for our state and for, for goal setting, for people to get out there and have a goal of doing so many miles on a trail. Um, that's another thing I'm, I'm passionate about. I think that's going to be a great asset to Tennessee. That's that's very inspirational. Missy, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're tra traveling today, so thank you for being with us this morning. It's an honor to thank have you, you on. Thank you, Jim. And um, tell Jen I said hello. She helped coach my youngest at, quite often, and she is a wonderful person for Knoxville. She is. She absolutely is. Thank you, Missy. That's Missy Kane. Thanks, We're yeah. talking about the Olympics today. When we come back, um, I want to have our dollars and cents segment. We're going to talk about what is likely to be the largest Social Security cost of living adjustment uh, in years. And, uh, and, and how, how much can you count on your Social Security income beating inflation? And then we're going to have on a very dear friend of ours, my, my wife and me, Jenna Johnson, who's also an Olympian from 1984, grew up in, uh, in California, came to Knoxville to be a coach at the University of Tennessee for their Lady Vols swim program and has been a fixture in the area ever since. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're talking about the Olympics today. We've been visiting with Missy Kane. In a moment, we're going to visit with Jenna Johnson, who has two golds and a silver medal from the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. She got those at the age of 16. Pretty remarkable. Uh, before we get to Jenna, however, it is time for Dollars and Cents. 
Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. Social Security benefits are expected to rise pretty dramatically next year. You know, there's been so much talk about inflationary pressure and continued inflationary pressure at least through the end of this year and the effect on retirement income. Now, one of the flip sides of that is what can you expect out of your cost of living increase with Social Security? Uh, The June increase in the Consumer Price Index was the largest year-over-year increase since 2008, up 5.4% from the previous month over the year. Uh, Pretty remarkable inflation pressure. Based on the June CPI data, Mary Johnson, a Social Security analyst for the Senior Citizens League, projects Social Security benefits could increase 6% in 2022, which is nearly five times the 1.3% increase that we had earlier this year in January 2021. And that could that result could be the largest annual cost of living increase in Social Security benefits since 1983. If you think back to the late 70s, early 80s, and the huge inflationary pressure we have. So that means a nice cost of living increase on your Social Security income. So that's a good thing. Now, what does that mean for the future? I do want you to be careful that you don't overestimate Social Security's ability to keep up with cost of living. Um, You you do have cost of living increases, and since the early 1970s, the average cost of living increase has been between two and two and a half percent, actually a little bit closer to two and a half percent. But since not 2009, it's been down under one and a half percent. Now, you know, this one, and, and we've had three years, I think it's three years since 2009, there's been no increase in the benefit. Believe it or not, even with cost of living increases, from 2000 to 2020, the average Social Security beneficiary, somebody drawing income from Social Security, in terms of what they can buy with that monthly income, they've lost a third of their purchasing power in that 20-year period since 2000, and that's with the cost of living increases. So that's a remarkable loss of purchasing power. What that tells us is the cost of living increase is not truly keeping up with the cost of living that retirees truly see in their lives day to day. So what this means is that over time, you're gonna need to depend less on Social Security and more on your own income-producing assets. Uh, Now, if you have a pension with a cost-of-living adjustment, that helps. If you have a pension with no cost-of-living adjustment, that makes it even more important. So in your financial plan, you need to make sure that as you look to the future, you can grow your assets enough, especially in this inflationary environment, to be able to produce more income where you can draw more from your life savings to offset this inflation because the Social Security is not likely to be 
as effective as you would like. So be sure you have that type of a financial plan in place. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. My upcoming class is at Pellissippi State at Hardin Valley on August 24th and 31st. It's a two-part class, two two-hour sessions at 6.30 p.m. Uh, If you're close to retirement or you're retired, I have seven key things I cover in that class to try to equip you to make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life for retirement. So uh, you can check that out at PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com, and you can download a syllabus and click to register. Now, I'll be at the University of Tennessee downtown through their non-credit programs uh, in September on the 16th and 23rd. And then I have a full schedule through the fall. Uh, I'm doing a special one-night tax class uh, in November at Pellissippi at Hardin Valley. If you want to get our full schedule and click to register for any of those classes, we've got them all listed on my website at broganfinancial.com. Click on Classes, and you can see the full upcoming schedule. Now, we've been talking about the Olympics today. It's such exciting time every four years, and in this case, five years. And, of course, we've been visiting with Missy Kane. I now have on the line with me a dear friend of Dee Dee's and mine, uh, Jenna Johnson, who moved to the area in, I believe, the late 1990s, maybe mid to late 90s, and has been a fixture in this community ever since. Been so impactful with young kids uh, as they swim and grow. Jenna, it's great to have you on the show with us today. Good morning. Good morning, Jim. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. When when was it you moved to to Knoxville to to be an assistant coach with the Lady Ball Swim Program? I actually moved here on my birthday of 1993, which is September 11th, if you can believe that. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, and, and I guess I met you when you moved in next door, I guess it was maybe 97, something, 96, 97, something like that? Yeah, I think I moved into those uh, condo townhouses around, I would say, probably 95. Yeah, we moved in in 95, so I think it must not have been much longer after that. Yeah. And uh, we were next to our neighbors, Jim. I know, I have to tell the story. So you can tell the story. (laughs) I have to tell this. So you came over and and I think you came into our house and introduced yourself. You had you moved in maybe just a couple of months after us, I think, now that I'm thinking about it. Dee Dee would remember all of that. But um anyway, and 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 when we found out you were coaches for the Lady Vols, Dee Dee was like talking about swimming and she she talked about the fact that I swam in Jakaza here in Knoxville. And anyway, you went back over to your house, and I was sitting there. And, of course, in, this, in the Olympics, I really, really, probably my favorite thing to watch is swimming because I grew up as a swimmer, uh, not serious year-round swimmer like yourself or, or many others, but I, I, I loved swimming growing up. So I've always been drawn to that. My, my, one of my best friends was a, a, a world-class swimmer growing up. And I was like, Dee Dee Jenna Johnson, I know that name. I, I think she was in the Olympics. And so I went back over to your house, 
and and I knocked on the door and you answered it. You were so gracious, and I was like, "Did you swim in the Olympics?" And you were like, "Yeah, I sure did." And that was so cool. And, and <laughs> I know later, as we got to know each other and became friends, you let us look at your medals, and that was just really—I'll never ever forget those kind of experiences. <laughs> Me either, Jim. And you know, you have to also mention that when I met my husband here in Tennessee, and you guys not only attended my wedding in California, but you were also like the main singers of my wedding. So you guys were a big part of that special day. Well, thank you. That was a real honor and that was a, that was a fun, fun time. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about your career. Um, you know, being 16 years old and qualifying for the Olympics, I mean, what was that like walking out to compete in the Olympics as a 16-year-old? Well, you know, I was going into my, well, it was between my junior year and my senior year of high school when it happened. So I had one more year of high school left at the time. And I had moved recently um, from Northern California to Southern California. I'm trying to set the tone here a little bit. Um, Sure. So I had, you know, I was kind of new to Southern Cal as far as living there was. I had relatives there, but I'd never lived there before. And um, so I was kind of getting my bearings in high school. And, you know, that's kind of an important time of your life when you're trying to fit in. And I was being recruited to play basketball and volleyball and all these other things. And I kept saying, no, no, I can't. I have swimming because we didn't have a swim team at my high school, which was a Whittier Christian um, in down in Southern Cal. Um, and so I had qualified for the Olympic team and everything. And my teachers by then knew, of course, that swimming was my, my thing. And then going to the trials and then going on to the Olympics, the Olympics were in Los Angeles, which <laughs> when I was already living down there, it was kind of funny because I didn't have to go, but about an hour from my house. Yeah. But of course, you know, the Olympic team gets together between the trials and the Olympics for a period of time. And it's, it's varied over the years. Back then, I believe it was six weeks. It was about six weeks. Yeah, and you trained together, right? Was, yes. Mm-hmm. So we trained together at Mission Viejo, which is a, a big, um, there's a really big pool aquatic center in Mission Viejo. It's been there for years, and that's where we were training. And then just kind of getting ready for the games. So, of course, it was absolutely thrilling um, to be going to the Olympics at such a young age. I was one of the younger ones on the team which isn't the case or wasn't the case, by the way, this year. So we had, there was a 15-year-old and a couple of 16-year-olds on that 84 team. So we were really looking up to those older, more experienced swimmers for advice and just direction. Back then, of course, we didn't have the internet and cell phones. So um, I was, I felt a little bit disconnected from my coach who couldn't come to be there with me during that training session between the Olympic trials and the Olympics. But I managed to um, figure it out, but it was it was a little bit more difficult than it is now. Oh wow! Because now your coach would go with you for that transition, would would they not? Um, if they were so, there's Olymp- there's an Olympic coaching staff that's selected, and you you don't necessarily get to have your coach come with you to the training oh. camp, but at least you know you have an easy you can easily access your coach and get whatever you need workouts wise and training wise with what we have with technology that we have now. 
Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I never knew that. Of course, I guess the they, they swam here, if, you know, year, before the London Olympics. That This was in Knoxville, Tennessee. They they actually trained here for that intermediary time, right? Um, yeah, they did have the Olympic team, the swim team came through Knoxville several different, for several different Olympics because, you know, Tennessee is such a, a good place to go because it's so central to the country. So on their way to wherever they were going, yes. we And also we had more Olympic pools at University of Tennessee than we have at pretty much any other university with the outdoor um, 50-meter pool, the two indoor 50-meter pools. So that was a plus as well. We're visiting this morning with Jenna Johnson. She's a former Olympic champion, two gold medals and a silver from the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the pressures of being a young Olympian and the pressures that children face today, as well as her transition into and her passion into coaching young kids in, in the sport of swimming. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're on every Saturday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. right here on News Talk. And you can also catch our podcasts online. At BroganFinancial.com, click on radio. You can also check our upcoming class schedule, two-part adult classes at Pellissippi State and the University of Tennessee. We've also got plenty of resources and blog content that can help you uh, in your journey to being financially independent and secure. We're visiting with Jenna Johnson. We earlier visited with Missy Kane. And by the way, Jenna, she did tell me to be sure to tell you hello. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes. And uh, Jenna Johnson, of course, two golds and a silver from the 1984 Olympics. She coached the the Lady Vols for years as an assistant coach. I do want to mention, Jenna, you know, today sports has become, for kids, has become so specialized at such a young age. And I know you just mentioned you were playing basketball and volleyball and doing swimming. You were starting to focus on swimming. You know, one of the things I'll, 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 if I remember this correctly, because I really remembered it, um, or at least something similar to what I'm going to ask you. But, you know, I had a friend next door, one of my best friends, who was a world-class swimmer growing up and top age group national champion in the, two, in the, in the um, 200 butterfly and was also distance freestyler. And he started, he started working out twice a day at like 10 or 11 years old. It's all he did. And you see kids today, they start specializing at such a young age and it is their entire life. You were a multi-sport right. athlete. Um, and I think when I asked you, when did you start working out twice a day, doing two-a-days, I think you, t- if I remember correctly, Jenny, you said you didn't even start doing that till after you had been in the Olympics. Am I remembering <laughs> yeah. that correctly? And what about mm-hmm. today's kids and the, and the risk of burnout? And you see these young kids competing. What are your thoughts on all that and the pressure that we put on them? That is such an important uh, question and uh, an important consideration. And now that I'm, you know, a parent of kids, I've seen um, sports from a lot of different perspectives now. 
as a coach, as a parent, as an athlete, and I've also seen it in other sports like basketball because my son ended up being a basketball player um, and playing in college, which he's doing right now. And my daughter is still in high school swimming and hoping to swim in college. So I've seen kind of how I've seen it from my own kind of going through it experience and then looking at others going through it. And I've had to give advice a lot of times to parents. You can imagine they're asking me, they trust me, my opinion about when is the time to take the next step? When is it time to, you know, kick it up a notch and and specialize? And I have to say, I use my own experience, which was I didn't start swimming year round, first of all, until I was 12. I'd say the average, probably most coaches in USA Swimming would say that's too late to to really specialize in swimming. Um, but that's when I did it. It was my, my 12th birthday about is when I started to swim year-round with a team in Santa Rosa called the Santa Rosa Neptunes. Before that, it was a summer league team very similar to like KRC. It was a, a club that had tennis and things like that as well as a swimming pool. Um, so then I think back to how I was – still doing other sports when I was starting to do year-round swimming and I started to see for myself the conflicts like oh well I'm going to have to miss a couple of softball practices in order to make it to swimming or I'm going to have to miss you know a few swim practices to make it to softball or volleyball or whatever it would be and my coaches of course were always encouraging me to come to as many practices as I could and that would be basically six practices a week, one per day, and Sundays off. Well, these days, and even back then, like you said, kids were specializing much younger. And I do believe that it is possible to start too soon. So I've, I've encouraged families, and I believe that this myself, that, you know, the age of 11 or 12 is the soonest I would do it. I wouldn't join a year-round team and swim every day at the age of, you know, younger than that. And if I did, if I did have my child do that, I would be very lenient with it. I'd be um, encouraging them to still keep doing the other sports and the other activities, maybe only going three times a week and just easing their way into it. So that's how I feel about it. And um, looking back, you're correct. And I know nobody, nobody believes me that I did not do double practices until I got to Stanford. Before that, I had one practice a day. Granted, they were very long practices. For example, a three-hour session in the water. You know, it wasn't, you know, um, a three-hour session that combined swimming with lifting or something like that. It was a three-hour swimming session. So, and then lifting on top of that or running or whatever you do outside of the pool, um, depending on what program you're involved in. So I did increase my hours of training and my yardage um, exponentially my junior and senior year of high school. But I didn't do, in my opinion, I did it gradually. And I don't, I wouldn't say I had anything to do with that. I think I was just very fortunate and blessed to be in programs that didn't allow any more than that. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. And I think that's important. I mean, as a kid growing up for me, I mean, I did so many things. And as you know, um, I started really focusing in high school into music. And I did, I mean, I was in the band. I was in the chorus. I was playing violin. I was in pop ensemble and madrigals. You know, I did so many different things, even in the music field. And today, even, it's hard to do that kind of stuff. And I just love being so well-rounded. Jenna, you're such an inspiration to all of us. You're such an inspiration to young kids. I know my girls have just loved being around you and your inspiration. Thank you so much for everything you do in the community, and thank you for being on with us this morning. Oh, absolutely, Jim. Thank you so much for asking. And it's great to talk to you, and I look forward to talking to you more. 
when we're not on the radio. <laughs> that, that sounds great. We need to get together. Thank you for tuning in this week to More Living with Jim Brogan. You can catch us only here at News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.